This is the part of the show where I provide a dramatic intro about what you're going to be listening to today, but not doing that this time. With the COVID-19 crisis being a bit more intense than I realized, unfortunately, we have to use some new technology that we're not quite comfortable with yet. We will get there. We will adapt. We always do. However, eh, <laughs> there were some technical issues this time around. You'll hear some clicks, some pops. You'll hear, unfortunately, some of the conversation lag a few seconds behind other participants in the conversation. I'm not pointing fingers, but if I would, they would be pointed directly back at myself. However, after listening and re-listening and re-listening to the episode, it is still educational, it is still informative, and it is still fun. So, without further ado, and with a bit of a warning to bear with us, I present to you the strange case of Roger Tickborn. Y'all listening to Old Tiny Crimey. Crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Hey, it's old-timey crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week to bring you another weekly dose of historical crime. We've got a really interesting case for you guys this week. Uh, it's one that will have you questioning everything and nothing at the same time. Uh, but before we do, uh, I want to do a quick uh, little raise of light. Uh, I, uh, I'll just go ahead and go first because I've been thinking about mine lately. Um, I, I, have, I have two little ones, two brief ones. Uh, first of all, one was another podcast, uh, which I was listening to, and it gave me an absolute, a moment of absolute delight as I finished it this week. It was, it's The Constant, which is a history of getting things wrong. It's fascinating, very well done, very intelligent. And they have a five-part series in The, in the Constant. It's mostly one-offs, but this five-part series was called The Fool Killer. And it's about a submarine that was found at the bottom of the Chicago River in 1915 and trying to solve the mystery of who built that submarine. And it is so fascinating that I actually listened to the final episode and then I made Jackson listen to it with me just to enjoy the ride with him. So that was like a, a moment of sheer delight. And then also I told my students about the podcast in my lecture this week. Uh, and so uh, hopefully some of them are listening. I already know one of them is listening. She found us before I even told them. So <laughs> Was she the reason you told them? You felt like you had to? No, one of my other students, he wrote in one of his homeworks, uh, in, in one of the uh, his homework answers was something like, uh, Professor Baxter should have told us uh, the name of her podcast before we all had to go into isolation. Aww. And so I was like, all right, already, gosh. That's adorable. Good Isn't ass it? kissing, whoever did it. Yes, yes. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. And I did it in a really cute way where I had three short video lectures. And at the end of each one, I released a third of our uh, logo. And so, yeah. So hopefully some of them are listening. If they are, hi. And uh, it's school's over by the time you're hearing this. And I miss you guys. And you did a fantastic job this semester of adjusting to uh, the apocalypse. So, Don't. Except right. for one of you. Figure out who it is. <laughs> no, she's lying. She's, she's making that up, guys. Do not Sorry. judge Chris by what comes out of my mouth. I'm apologizing in advance, but I'm really not. Sorry. It's just so societal niceties. I'm not apologizing. I don't even care. 
<laughs> I won't. I guess I won't apologize. All right. All right. So Scott, uh, ray of light. Ray of light. Uh, my girlfriend finally told me that she loved me. <gasps> oh my god! Yeah. Yay, Ariana! <laughs> All right. All the lovebirds. Oh yeah, it's been it's been so sweet. It's uh. I am really in love with this woman. So Aww. it is a, it, it's kind of a weird, weird roundabout way that we got to everything. And it's very unusual having a relationship that we are building mainly off of Google Hangouts. It's not unusual. Oh, no, it's extremely <laughs> unusual. <laughs> it's love in the time of COVID-19. <laughs> you can inspire other people. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've got both distance and disease keeping us apart. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if this uh, this works. But I I'm head over heels for Ariana. No two ways about it. Aww, that is delightful. <laughs> Amber, top that. Um, my booze came. Yes. Yay! Yeah. Yes, I think she topped it. Um, so I was, I was out and, uh, thanks to one of our friends, I'm giving a shout out to Cecilia who finally got in on the PLCB's, uh, website to order booze and got me, uh, four bottles cause she is my queen. Um, I'll be done with those by the weekend, but my second shipment should arrive by then. So (laughs) (laughs) that was quick though. I think she just got in on like Saturday or something, or it could have been like February because the time is nothing now. No, but hers was so fast because I ordered mine a week before she ordered hers, and hers was in before mine. Wow. Um, okay. So fine wine and good spirits is actually pretty quick with the shipping. So if you can get in. Nice. Yeah. Good. We I, was, got I guess in, that's my real sunshine. We got in a couple <laughs> days ago and got a couple of bottles. You lucky ducks. But you guys drink a lot of wine, and wine you can buy pretty much anywhere. Um, but liquor is the, the difficult thing to get. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Where we've now been kicked out of two states for our residents flooding there and spreading <laughs> disease and attempts to buy alcohol there. So, woo, Pennsylvania, go PA. Did you see that the the, uh, the website for the state of Pennsylvania actually issued a thing about how, hey, guys, if you travel across state, state lines, that is bootlegging. You're, you're breaking the law. Stop it. Pish posh, I <laughs> <Right>? say. <laughs> Amir Duke boys crossing the Mason-Dixon line just to get themselves a 12-pack of Schlitz. Like, <laughs> honestly, though, we're, we're probably only weeks away from, like, the mountain guys doing bathtub moonshine. Like, it's coming back. What you know you it is. What do you mean, weeks? Yeah. <laughs> well, more people than are usually doing there it. Because you, you know what? I actually I have a, a great hillbilly that, that gives me apple pie moonshine. And so I have that as backup. And it's quite delicious. But I, I like to um, wake up. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait until I'm out. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you wake up instead of come to, it's not real moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's exactly why. Like, th- I, I still have work, so I have to be f- a functional alcoholic. Yeah, doesn't that suck that we're essential? <laughs> I mean, I'm, yes really, no. I'm really happy. I'm really happy that I have a job. But then whenever my pe- like my friends are going like, I haven't worked in weeks. I am so relaxed and I'm not getting out of my pajamas. I'm sitting there going like, yeah, I kind of hate you right now. But you know what? I don't get out of my pajamas really, but uh, um, I have I'm my not regular relaxed. pajamas and then I have my work pajamas. Oh, you have yeah. work pajamas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it just means I put on a pair of shorts instead of wandering around the house naked. 
Uh, there's a lot of other people that live in my house, uh, so I can't get I can't get away with that. I have absolutely no segue. You guys are giving me nothing here. Like I, I was gonna go with uh, somebody who would never drink bathtub moonshine, but then we moved on past that, and now I'm just like somebody who would never have day pajamas. No, and plus <laughs> you could just go with hey fuckers focus. Yeah, hey know. fuckers focus. How about that? This We're gonna guy, talk. Uh, this guy well, wouldn't have turned down moonshine to save his soul. Well, no, the first guy, though. Uh, we're going to talk about Roger Charles Doty Tickborn. Uh, and um, maybe also Roger Doty Charles Tickborn, and maybe another guy, or possibly another, another guy. So it's going to be fun, and it's kind of a, a little bit of a ride here. So he was the son of a wealthy Hampshire family in England. He was born in 1829. He was the first of two sons, and then there were also two daughters that died in infancy because being a woman was apparently a fatal condition from the moment you exited the birth canal. <laughs> was there any question? Days. Yeah, right? Okay, so I find that fact right there oddly like suspicious just because – Female babies are typically stronger and healthier than male babies. That is a good point. And, you know, those female babies, when they grow up to be uh, almost adult babies and they need to get married, uh, sometimes there's some money involved in that. And maybe some people didn't want to lay out that money. I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm not casting any blame. I'm just saying that sometimes it was probably a possibility that as soon as a, as a baby came out, the or a, a girl came out, the old baby shoot, that uh, somebody was like, eh, I can see how much this is going to cost me. And, you know, I'm sure it in, in history, at least has happened a couple of times. I just think you're some really dumb guy you know because aristocracy doesn't really breed geniuses i picture like some dumb guy accidentally killing his daughter because he pinched her nose shut blew in her mouth and like really pushed really hard to dry, try to blow the penis out of the vagina <laughs> oh god that's brutal it's just science christy so, uh roger tickborn's parents were sir james and henriette felicite tickborn there was a 21-year age difference between these two, and she was actually from the French royal family, but she was illegitimate. She, um, it's kind of confusing, but she is actually the great-great-great-granddaughter of Louis XIV, and her grandmother was a consort of Louis-Francois I, Prince of Conti. Now, there's a weird thing with her father, and how this happens is so strange. Her father was Henry Seymour of Noyles. He was a nobleman, and he was a prisoner during the Napoleonic Wars and somehow still managed to have an affair with the daughter of the Duke de Bourbon. Damn. <laughs> somehow. That's impressive. That really is impressive, and had this affair so successfully that Henriette was a product of it, which that's, again, very impressive. Now, in captivity with him was Sir James uh, Tickborn and Sir James's father, and Henriette eventually was married off to Sir James, which I had to ask. He's in captivity. Is the affair happening in that room? And if so, was he present for his eventual wife's conception? Discuss. Oh, I hope so. Because it's already weird. It's already weird. We might as well make it weirder. True. I didn't even think about that. And that is one of the few times that you are perhaps a little more depraved than me. Still not I as weird as, you. Still not as weird as Twilight. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to you gotta work pretty hard. I got to get get up pretty early in the morning to out-sick mind Stephanie Meyer. Because so. there is that one <laughs> To out-sick mind a Mormon. 
there is that one scene in Twilight where like Jacob looks down and goes, that's my soulmate to add a newborn baby. I, I mean, see this happening in this case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all kinds of kinds of messed up here. It is. So, listeners, please understand. It is really hard. We we base a lot of when we're going to talk off the facial expressions of each other. Yes, and body language and all those things are very important, and we don't have those. No, right now, all we're doing is audio. We can't see each other. So we're going to talk over each other until the quarantine's over. Please bear with us, because uh, we are still getting used to this. So I do thank you for bearing with us. And we really, yeah, we really appreciate you guys sticking by us. This has been, uh, it's been a new challenge, but also it's an old challenge for me, because this is actually how I started podcasting, so... <laughs> So yeah, Henriette hated England. She could not stand the country life, which I don't feel yet, girl. I'm sorry. I, I, I love a good city, but just for a while. And then I like coming back and having, you know, like a yard and space away from other people, which right now is super handy. Ducks. And safe. And ducks. I like having ducks. A lot of cities don't like that very much. The all-terrain uh, vehicle of the animal kingdom, the duck. Uh, yes. Land, sea, and air. <laughs> I'm going to start calling my ducks ATVs. That's what they are. And I don't think she liked her husband very much because uh, Wikipedia actually called him, quote, physically unprepossessing, end quote, which I think is uh, Wikipedia-ite for ugly. He's an uggo? Yeah. I think it's a really nice way to say he's rich but ugly. I think it's a little bit more than that because Wikipedia for ugly is unpleasant demeanor and visage. I think whenever you get into like that, they're actually saying fugly. Hmm, maybe. Sorry, guys, pouring a beer. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. So yeah, I think uh, I think they actually are. Yeah, there there there's a, a s- scaling down like steps of Wikipedia's like euphemistic insults for people. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is he's he's pretty he's pretty fugly. I, I don't I didn't see a picture of him. There's a reason for that, because he was fugly. <laughs> I ain't so wasting family... good film on him. This, yeah. Jesus. This stuff's expensive. It's the 1800s, for God's sakes. You put the <laughs> in daguerreotype. <laughs> nice. So there is actually a baronetcy passed down through this family. It was held at the time of Roger Tickborn's birth by his uncle Edward, but Uncle Edward had no male children, so uh, he would go on to die in 1853, and at that point, it went on to Roger's father's Roger's father James, which means that at the point of James's death, it would then go on to his oldest surviving son. Now, uh, I read a couple different things in a couple different places as to who had malformed genitals. <laughs> I know. No segue. I, I have give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is I read in a couple places that one or the other. So did, not getting into later characters, what do you think of did Roger have the malformed genitals? More than one person had the malformed genitals. Yeah. Okay. I've All right. I've got okay. to agree. I'm willing to bet whenever they're saying malformed genitals... I'm willing to bet, just looking at Roger Tickborn's picture, there are some, and I hate to say this, uh, there are some effeminate qualities in the picture, and I'm willing to bet, like, the malformed genitals are kind of a, uh, 
kind of a micropenis. I'm not saying micropenis. I'm going to go with hermaphrodism. Ooh, interesting. I wasn't really sure what to think, and I, I, kept, I kept on trying to find a specific name for whatever condition, which, by the way, it was rare and hereditary, it said. Uh, so that means that uh, good old Sir James, <laughs> he had it, too. Yeah, I don't know what to think. I knew a hermaphrodite. Her name was Stacy, and and she did, she did go by a her, and honestly... Yeah, I've seen a lot of similar features in, in Tickborn and, and Stacy. Interesting. Well, he actually had to wear special frocks, it said. he was take- Henriette took him to France to get away from England and probably to get away from her, her marriage that she wasn't too fond of. And uh, so he, he, poor Roger had to wear special frocks because they thought that his genitals just needed room to grow. <laughs> Like, these trousers, no, they're too constrictive. You need to wear frocks, which I'm assuming by frocks, they mean dresses. Um, And, yeah, so that probably made for an interesting growing up because he wore them until he was 12. And probably society not really thrilled with that. I think at that point you just wear a kilt. You're close enough. Wrong place, though. Why didn't his mom take him to Scotland? But she was French, so. Uh, So... You have him going back to England at age 16. He goes to boarding school. Then he enters the army where he is in the 6th Dragoon Guards for three years, mostly in Ireland. And does anybody else love the word Dragoon? That's always been one of my favorite, like, random military words. Dragoon. Yes, exactly. And it sounds so much like dragon, too. Like, there's just so many good things about that word. So, but his primary language, it should be noted, was French. And he could, of course, speak English quite well, but there was a heavy French accent because of just so much time being spent growing up and and being schooled in France. So his, uh, he spent some time on leave at his uncle Edward's, the the baronet. Uh, And in this time, he kind of got, no, I'm not going to say kind of, I'm going to say full throttle, got the hots for a girl. And this girl was, go for it, either of you. His cousin. His cousin. Let me name First was... cousin. First cousin. First cousin. This is Edward's <laughs> daughter. He is James's son. Edward and James are brothers, in case I need to define for you what first cousin means. Let I me stick my don't. malformed genitals on your obviously malformed genitals. Yes. And her name was Catherine Doty, but she went by Caddy. Uh, she's four years younger than him, and actually, shockingly, for the aristocracy, the family actually forbade the relationship. This is amazing, guys. I think we're seeing, I think they're making history. I just want to fuck my cousin. You don't understand me, father. You know what? All of you know my what? forefathers have done it. I, I don't even think it was that. Okay, so like, first they're like, you're not going to fuck her because you're not married. And then they're like, well, we'll get married. And then they're like, mm, you need to go away now. Like, <laughs> where else am I going to find a woman with a corkscrew vagina for my swirly <laughs> penis? A corkscrew vagina like a duck. Little um, did he know if he would have fucked her, she would have uh, like they would have both died because she had left hand thread. Oh, God. <laughs> so they did still manage to meet up in secret. So there are still might have been some uh, some cousin banging going on there uh and he eventually resigned his military commission to go traveling 
there's a couple different stories behind this. One says he just wanted to escape all of this family crap. Uh, another said that his family said, you go and travel for three years, and if you're still feeling it when you come back, you can go ahead and marry her, which was basically just an excuse to get him away so they could they marry her off, which they did. Um, and another one was like, and this source, I, I didn't really make any sense because it was he was supposed to go away and, and wait until she came of age, but um, he was 24 when he left. So she would have only, she would have been 20. She would have been, I mean, that's, that's old maid time in, in this time in England. She was pretty much, she was practically doomed. There were no more suitors coming to call. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can't get off the incest bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah still, still, still gross. Yeah. Um, and I say this as somebody who's a doppelganger murder victim uh, was uh, basically married to her cousin. So, and had babies with Okay, so I, I've been looking up um, the uh, the genital defects because I this is what I do. Your um, Google history tonight is fantastic. We already had the old tiny crimey <laughs> where you were looking up the history of vibrators, and now you're looking up genital defects. Somebody at Google is looking at your history and just their eyebrow is just all the way, one of them crawling up into their hairline like a freaking caterpillar. That would be like a daily thing because I look up some weird shit. But... Um... <laughs> So I found this. It's a hypospadias. It is one of the most common congenital anomalies occurring in one of every 125 live male births. And what it is, is the development of the urethra, foreskin, and ventricle aspect of the penis is arrested. So basically, your pee hole might be a little off of where it's supposed to be. Oh, it's like, okay. a, it's like the period on an old-timey typewriter with the bar just slightly bent. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but apparently sometimes it can be in the scrotum or or uh, the perineum, which is oh, frightening. Oh, God, but, I don't um, want to pee out of either of those places. Most of them are not that bad. Most of them are not that bad. Apparently it's pretty common just to be a little bit uh, off. I think Ow. the only thing, the only thing weird about my penis, well, aside from its unusual size, like just the amazing <laughs> girth and weight of it, uh, after, after <laughs> any vigorous sex that I have, I'll pee in two directions. No, that is actually yeah. pretty common. Yeah, that's, that's my big thing. By the way, internet, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm looking up like genital defects. And one of the things I see on Google images, the 15 best Chernobyl deformations. There's no <laughs> such fucking thing as best deformations. <laughs> And, it just knows that you're a sick and bastard. And the picture that it's really giving does. me is some dude with no, like, just a hole in his face where his nose and mouth should be. That's not a good defect. Unless you're trying to get an, a job as an extra in zombie movies. No, that's a nightmare. See, yeah. Any, anytime I put genital or malformation, I'm usually not looking at images. So, like, I just skipped right past those. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. See, that's the smart way. I'm sorry, Scott. You did not do it the smart way. It was on Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We are taking social media to new heights and new lows. Look, here it is. Here it is. Joanne Keller, 1968, you sick bitch. The 15 best Chernobyl birth defects on Pinterest. Wow. <clears throat> All right. So, <laughs> wow. 
on March 1st, 1853. Uh, so he is off to Valparaiso, Chile, uh, on the La Pauline ship. He is His whole intention is he's going to tour South America, or at least that's where he's going to start, and then, you know, maybe see where he goes from there. And on March 5th, 1853. I did see a couple different dates for this, but this seemed to be the most certain one. His uncle Edward dies. So this big thing where the baronetcy passes from his uncle to his father happens just four days after he leaves. That's kind of kind of crazy. Um, and so that's some Lion yeah. King stuff. That was a setup. Yeah, that is some Lion King stuff. And some other setups were the fact that while he was away, it didn't seem like it took very long. Caddy married. The most Britishly named British man that ever Britished, Percival Pickford Radcliffe. I'm sorry, I don't like to do the accent, but I had to yes, for you that. Do. You had to. Yeah. No, I don't because I know I'm bad at Dear it. Dear God, if you ever die, Scott, Percival... don't send me birth defects on Facebook. I put do not look. <laughs> that doesn't help. It was for me. It probably will show preview images. <laughs> Anyhow, I just got that on my watch and I was like, I just looked at it, I was like, son of a bitch. So, okay. <laughs> so, yes, Caddy gets married. I'm sure that did not uh, go over well for him. He does a lot of traveling, uh, as one does when one is a, a rich person who is heartbroken. He goes to Peru, then back to Valparaiso. Then he starts crossing the Andes, Buenos Aires. When he's there, he writes to his aunt and says he's going to hit up Brazil, Jamaica, and Mexico. He's last seen in Rio de Janeiro on, in April of 1854, and he's waiting for a boat to Jamaica. He managed to get a ticket on the Bella, which sailed on April 20th. And then on April 24th, 1854, a longboat from Bella was found floating unmanned off the Brazilian coast. And the general understanding when this happens anytime is the ship went down, all hands were lost, no hope, et cetera, et cetera. You get the drift. Uh, no pun intended shit. Um, <laughs> damn it. It's always unintended. Almost always. Unless it's about uh, the word publicans. <laughs> and then I do it on purpose and I giggle to myself. I figure maybe Hugo Knotts is in there as well. Oh, nice. Thank you. Very nice. So the rumor, even though this this longboat is found, it's, it's pretty much assumed that the ship went down and everybody went down with it. There's still rumors that a ship swung by, saw the survivors, picked them up, and then dropped them in Australia. Even though we have no word for many years of any of these people returning home and saying, you know, I'm a survivor of the Bella, as one would... Nothing like that. Still, there's rumors of this happening. Let's face it. If you are rescued from a ship, if they drop you off in Australia, everything there is trying to kill you anyway. They may not have survived Australia. If like somebody would try to drop me off, it's like, no, thanks. I'll take my chances with the open sea. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm heading to Australia. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, there's, there's a shark over there. I'm sure he means well. I have a uh, buddy, Mikey, who's Australian. And I kind of joked with him. I said, Jesus Christ, is there any place safe the, down there? And he goes, yeah, the schools, you American bastards. And I'm like, well, fuck. I'm not... <laughs> oh. Ooh, that one hurt. <laughs> what I would like to know is how you resist ever and always saying, crikey, Mikey. Uh, we don't. We really don't. <laughs> 
Because I would not be able to. Mikey looks like a young version of the old man from Up. <laughs> nice. And we've pointed it out to him several times. After the whole ship sinking, probably, and everybody dying, probably, happens, some years pass. Sir James dies in 1862, and the baronetcy then passes on to Roger's younger brother, Alfred. This is not really a good thing. He had some bad habits. He liked the drinky drinky, and he liked the spendy spendy, and he liked the spendy spendy on the drinky drinky. And who are we to criticize, honestly? <laughs> now, here's the thing. Roger's mother, Henriette, now Lady Tickborn, begins placing newspaper advertisements in the Times offering reward about uh, Roger Tickborn, the fate of the Bella. Why did she do this? Because a psychic told her to. Of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, like in, in my notes, I actually put she paid a psychic to tell her that her son was still alive. Yeah, I like that interpretation. That sounds right. Yeah, that's about right. I need to become like a bullshit psychic. I think I'd be really good at it. Yeah. So he was described as, quote, of a delicate constitution, rather tall, with very light brown hair and blue eyes. And the advertisements also offered a most liberal reward. One shiny donkey. <laughs> One cousin. <laughs> That'll get yeah, him out of yeah, hiding. Yeah, well, excuse me, what just, now? I've Just wave caddy around. <laughs> I spent the last so many years just drawing, uh, drawing pictures of my lady's misshapen genitals. I miss her so. <laughs> Poor Caddy is being so defamed posthumously, Scott. Yeah. We don't know that. <laughs> yeah, we do. So, October 1865, <laughs> we don't. Uh, the ads have been running for about four to five months at this point, and it actually has been extended into Australia because of these rumors. And a lawyer from Wagga Wagga, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> oh, I have some Wagga Wagga stuff. Trust me. And it's Wagga Wagga. I'll tell you what, koala bears, very famous in Australia, but they have fozzy bears in Wagga Wagga. Yes. <laughs> uh, he is doing a bankruptcy examination on a local butcher named Thomas Castro. And Castro happens to mention, well, I have a claim on some property in England. I don't want to really talk about it. And there was this shipwreck too, but I don't really want to talk about it. And Oh, what, you're, you're looking at my pipe? My, my pipe with the initials RCT? Oh, I don't really want to talk about it. And eventually, Castro's able to prod him enough that he comes out with the truth that he is Roger Tickborn, this butcher in Australia over 10 years later. Uh, so how did he get there, one might ask? Well, his story is that the Bella was sinking. He was picked up by a ship called the Osprey. They took him to Melbourne. He took on a new name because he said that his head was knocked around a bit from the rescue. Traveled some, moved to Wagga Wagga, found himself a lady. She was already pregnant, so he just stood in as her child's father. He had another daughter with her. Then he started a butcher shop and was also a postman, as one does. <laughs> So, hmm. I have a little Wagga Wagga sidetrack for you. I did do bars, okay? I did do local bars for Wagga Wagga. And I found something a little weird that I, I had to do a little extra investigation on. Which, the extra investigation basically was continuing to read Wagga Wagga. 
wow, continuing to read Wagga Wagga's Wikipedia page. That was hard to say, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So, some bars in Wagga Wagga, Australia. There's the Crowbar. Wow. Anybody? I like that. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I like it. Which is not far from the Magpie's Nest restaurant. We also have the Thirsty Crow Brewery, the Red Rooster, the Black Swan, the Birdhouse, and Charles Stewart University is there, and their mascot is Charlie the Cockatoo. And I was like, what the hell is with all the birds? I mean, yes, there... I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. there are bars and restaurants (laughs) that aren't named after birds, but I'm going to say they're kind of like, it's about 50-50 as far as birds versus not birds in, in, in establishment names. Well... All right, so Wagga comes from the Wiradjuri Aboriginal people. And most people say that it means crow. And in the Wiradjuri's language, if you say something twice, you're making it plural. So Wagga Wagga is the place of too many crows. Yeah. Did you hear about the five o'clock wave? Yes, I did. But go ahead and tell me about. It. Oh, wait, one real quick before you do. What was still on my bird track? I do have to say that even the Roman Catholic Diocese of Wagga Wagga is uh, their Latin name is Diocesis Corvopolitana. Corvopolitana and Corvus, obviously, crow. All right, tell, talk about the five o'clock wave and the Wagga Wagga effect. I bet you're going to get to so as well. There is this. There is this thing called the five o'clock wave. It's a fictional theory about the Wagga effect. The Wagga effect is a term that's been used quite often in Australian media to describe the incredible amount of elite sportsmen and women that come from Wagga Wagga. They don't really know why, but one of the theories is the five o'clock wave. According to a local urban myth, at precisely five o'clock arrives a giant wave which flushes a secret nutrient into the Murrumbidgee River following the release of water from the Blowering and Burrenjuk dams. And it continues down the river at high speed, and visitors are told it is so powerful that servers can ride along its meandering river until it reaches the town of Narandara. This is not shit <laughs> that, that T.S. Eliot or fucking the guy that wrote Lord of the Rings fucking made up. These are actual names of towns. There is an incredible amount of people that nobody's ever heard of, but they're apparently good at weird things like cricket and, and Tarkata. I have no idea what the fuck these things are. The, the one person that kind of like caught my eye as like a notable person was, uh, oh, one of the Wiggles. <laughs> Sam Moran, one of the Wiggles, is, uh, is, is from Wagga Wagga. Huh, those nutrients, yeah. man. They'll do uh they'll do some unexpected things. Yep. <laughs> yep, indeed. But I just love the fact that like the Wagga effect and and the five o'clock wave. So much bullshit. I love it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is right up your alley, Scott. <laughs> Alfred during this time back in England, he nearly went bankrupt at the age of twenty seven. He died. Now, this was early 1866, and he left behind his wife, Teresa, who was pregnant with their very first child, who ended up being that all-important penis. I mean, son. I mean, heir. <laughs> it's obvious that you need a male heir. The money goes in the scrotum. 
Yes. <laughs> Women are too busy being stimulated by their doctors because of the hysteria. <laughs> it's so My boring. Wife, yes, boring their doctors <laughs> with the stimulation. My wife had to be treated for hysteria four times yesterday. <laughs> you know, the doctor bills for that. The chiseled jaw. They charge extra for the tedium. The chiseled jaw, rugged doctor with the unusual musk of manliness about him. Oh, my deformed genitals are so sad. <laughs> I don't want to talk about musk of anybody this in this time. Right? Yeah, everybody had a musk and it was not this great. <laughs> we there was not a we pleasant keep on musk. talking about it. Yeah, every week we're like, people smell bad. I love it. <laughs> it's becoming a theme. Uh, so when Alfred dies and the only heir, sorry, male heir, is a baby, basically Lady Tickborn, who, by the way, uh, I started getting kind of lazy in my typing. She's Lady T from now on. I hope everybody's Absolutely. Cool does she have a, like Lady and a lot of gold jewelry? I hope I, so. <laughs> in my head, she does. Right yes, so that makes it official. She has a thong under her bustle. So, yes, mm. absolutely. She twerks. Uh, so she, Lady <laughs> T, is now even more desperate for Roger, which makes her far more likely to believe who is this Thomas Castro who is now being called the claimant. And I don't know about you guys. I'm going to continue calling him the claimant just because honestly, there are one now two, and then eventually spoiler alert, possibly three different identities that could be ascribed to him. So it really just works to avoid confusion. Honestly, like it's just a narrative. Convenience. Well, okay. So at first I, at first I was like, that's dumb. I don't want to call him the claimant. And then after the third one came in, I'm like, now I get exactly. it. Exactly. Right. I'm just yeah. going to go back to the claimant. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to call him the claimant from now on. Uh, he, is Lady T is even more likely to believe his story, even though some stuff happens that is just raises some questions. He he says that uh, his mother's name is Hannah Francis. Might remind you that it is uh, Henriette France. Nope, sorry, Felicite. I forgot it, so I, I guess I can't blame him. <laughs> um, and he's asked, "You're you're the same amount of related." So I mean. yeah. <laughs> he's asked to write a will, and in this will, he basically gave away a whole bunch of parcels of property that were belonged to the Tickborns, except they didn't even exist. So that's a problem. Uh, but there were some that said he had the same genital malformation. As Roger Tickborn, a curious and weird coincidence, if true. Very, very Drop weird. them pants and let me see your godly mistake. Because the thing is, I don't think this would have been in the newspaper advertisements. Am I right? Well, back then, they put a lot of weird stuff in the advertisements. I, I guess don't know. we'd have to find them but, to find out. Like, I would love to do some, some deep digging and find one. I, I feel like that was just a lucky like, break that the claimant had the same malformation as our, our original missing if person. If it is the one you say it is, one in 100. So he, he only had a one in 100 chance, which is not easy odds to beat, but not the yeah. worst. But you know what? I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about, about this. About their genitals? So, yes, I've been thinking about their genitals. Genitalia. Oh, I love that um, song. <laughs> yes. Right? 
So what if it wasn't really a malformation? Because I couldn't find anything on, on what this was. What if it was herpes? Uh, can that is that can that be passed like down from mother to absolutely. child from childbirth? Absolutely, okay, because right. it's it's genital to skin contact during childbirth. But this idea of giving them uh, the the genitals, which if if it's true, giving the genitals room to grow and putting them in frocks in order to do so. I mean, would, geni- would genitals have made the herpes smaller? No. <gasps> would herpes have made the genitals smaller? I don't think so. I mean, I'm no doctor. And I- I'm... S- or a- oh, well, I, f- I forgot about that part. The Could have potentially been uh, some other uh, sexually transmitted infection, though. So uh, that is, it's, it's still a possibility. I'm definitely know? not going to go ask any doctors. I think you should. I'm going to ask Google... Um, why you would give genitals room to grow. We'll see what happens. Oh, boy. Keep us updated. (laughs) Actually, the very first thing that came up was um, the uh, hermaphrodites. Okay. Mm. The very first article was when to do surgery on a child with both. I I honestly think that's it because here's the thing. Let's get really down and dirty. Let's get really down and dirty. When... Oh, we haven't yet. <laughs> no, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some graphic in here. Whenever, oh, whenever you see a true hermaphrodite, it isn't like, it isn't like a trans woman. It isn't like a fully formed penis and then a vagina. What you're kind of looking at is kind of like an enlarged clit, but a small penis, and like the vaginal lips have these two large protrusions, which are the testicles, and it's a mess. It's just an honest wow. to God mess. And anybody that's listening, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. But yeah, it is. We're used to what the what genitals are supposed to look like, and it is just the a downstairs mix up. And thank God there's surgery out there to to correct it for those that want to correct it. And you know what? If you're happy with the way you, your downstairs looks, go for it. Good for you. Absolutely. Good for you. But for those that want to have a more, and I hate to use this term, but let's just use it, a more socially acceptable genital region, there's the surgeries. That's a weird phrase. It, that's, I'm not that's denying a really weird it. Phrase. I don't. Gen, your genitals don't need to be socially accepted. <laughs> like they yeah, don't. Yeah, they should only need to be accepted by exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. But society is a bitch, and that's a judgy yeah, bitch. Yeah, but that. I do have all all the compassion in the world uh, for for hermaphrodites, uh, especially you know growing up. And like I said, like I said, it, it, I knew a hermaphrodite growing up whose name was Stacy, and yeah, it was Stacy lived a hard life. Stacy lived a very hard yeah, life, and I, I feel for her. That is a rough situation. But you know what? I'm changing <laughs> the subject now. So um. Two articles down, it's general warts and babies and children. Oh. And about babies getting it during oh. birth. Hmm. We may, we'll probably never know the state of Roger Tickborn's or Thomas Castro's. I need or the to know. I genitals. need to know. <laughs> no matter. Keep on looking, Amber. Maybe you'll find something. I'm just Googling Roger Tickborn's oh, penis. Oh, boy. Oh, we've moved to a new. I don't know if this is heights or depths. Honestly, I can't tell you. So the claimant moves to Sydney with his wife and children 
Banks actually give him some money. Uh, he has to declare that he is Roger Tickborn in like an official declaration. There are tons of errors, although at least now he's gotten his supposed mother's name down. And his spelling is just atrocious, exactly like you'd expect from a nobleman who went to a boarding school and was very well educated from youth. Yeah, def definitely would have bad spelling. And also, you would expect that somebody who literally grew up in France and was known to have France was known to have French as his first language and a very strong French accented English. Well, it's really funny that the French, that French accent was just knocked right out of his head. And as with any knowledge of the French language. Let's not forget the tattoo he lost. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think that really comes into play until the, the yeah. court case. I, like, I don't, I don't even. I, I have to wonder when that became public knowledge because that did seem to be a break. I lost point. it in the in the boat accident. It was horrible. I just saw. I it was is a tattoo of a little boat, and I just saw it floating away into the sunset. <laughs> That's so absurd. I love it. So uh, from the Auckland Star, I have a quotation here. This is actually quoted in the, the Veeds that I mention in the sources later. Quote, his knowledge was the knowledge of a whopping butcher and his ignorance, not the ignorance of an English gentleman, which so much shade, like being thrown in multiple directions. Ooh, what'd you find? What'd you find? I found it. I can stop looking for oh, it Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> The butcher had a penis which retracted into a hole like a shy tortoise, <gasps> and he was required to demonstrate this to jurors in the robing oh my room. God! Roger Tickborn had also been somewhat deformed in this regard, being teased as smallcock by his fellow carabiners. Oh my <laughs> God, you found it. Amber, so many high fives, uh, like from an appropriate distance, of course. So like, like... <laughs> that that that's my high five to you and just metaphorically you accept it holy shit good I, I job wouldn't touch wow. you now even if we there wasn't a quarantine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after that i'm <laughs> not the one with the shy tortoise <laughs> i think oh we have God. the name of the podcast episode <laughs> i think you're right i love it uh, just just to give a shout out, that is from the Spectator UK. Love it! Oh my oh my god! I am in just awe. Oh. holy shit! <laughs> uh, two of Tickborn's former servants actually met the claimant in Sydney, and they had complete opposite reactions, and then changes to those reactions. It's kind of hilarious. One of them said. Yeah, yep, this is definitely Roger Tickborn. And then the claimant was like, so can you give me some money to help me get back to England and my family? And then the, that said uh, servant was like, nah, nah, nope, no, that's not, it's not Roger Tickborn. Sorry, I was mistaken. And the other was Andrew Bogle, who was a former uh, slave. He went the opposite route, as I said. At first, he was like, nope, this is not him. And then he would spend the rest of his life insisting that the claimant was Roger Tickborn. So it's very strange the, the completely opposite reactions we get, which is kind of foreshadowing for what's going to happen when he gets to England. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it, it's interesting the way like everybody just keeps going back and forth as to whether this is Tickborn or not. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there's so many details that are like, there's some details that are just like really just nail it and some details that are like, what the hell, dude? How do you expect anybody to yeah, believe you? Yeah, it's very odd. One of those, 
details is that he, Roger Tickborn was quite slender. He was a tall, uh, slender man and... Uh, 125 pounds. And at this point, uh, the claimant is 189 and all this good living and good eating and good drinking. I don't know good drinking. I, don't, I have no idea, but there's definitely good living and good eating. He puts on another 20 pounds to his 189. So it's quite a bit. You can certainly be be slender and then and then gain that amount. But like, is the body type the same? I think would be the Trauma question. Trauma will do that to you. It's uh, I. I oh, was certainly. I was probably I've always been heavy, but I think whenever whenever you guys first knew me, I was around 220, 225. And just the years and years of really shitty luck on my part. It's definitely the trauma has caused me to put on pounds. And it's, you know, the 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 not only you know, stress eating and, and sad eating. And uh, uh, I'm remembering my German correctly. I think it's Kummerspeck or something like that, which literally in German translates to grief bacon. Um, isn't that fantastic? Oh, yeah. I'll take some grief bacon. I We're all grief eating bacon. grief bacon lately. I need to put that on Facebook, actually. I, I meant to, and then I forgot because my, my head is a fog. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's grief bacon, which is basically emotional eating. You know, there's not only that, but also stress itself can cause you to gaze, gain weight even without the eating. So yeah, it's it's absolutely it's impossible. It, not it's impossible. It's possible that he went through a lot of stress in the in the period following the the you know the, the shipwreck. I mean, that's a traumatic event in itself, and then relocating okay, but, and but all that is, stuff. This is what I think is suspicious. So. They find him, and while in Sydney, he puts on 20 pounds. By the time he gets to England on Christmas Day, 1866, he's gained another 40 pounds, and he continuously gains after that. He got up to almost 400 pounds, and there was a lot of people that were like, okay, he's doing this on purpose to obscure his appearance. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I've been fat and skinny and then back up and down again. And my face changes based on body weight. So, like, they looked similar. But when people were like, I don't think you're him. He's like, well, I'm going to get fat. And then you're not going to know it's not me. You're just going to think I look like hell. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a curious, you know, whether this was motivated by his, his, his need to obscure his appearance. Or if it was just stress, which he, he kind of seemed to enjoy the limelight once it came to him. So I don't know how much stress he was really under, but. So, because this is this is what ten years after yeah. after the fact. So he would have been really fat if it was stress before. Yeah, they one found would think him. that that would have happened already. But it's I mean honestly, who the who the hell knows? We we know so little about his life there. He was a butcher. Maybe he was eating a lot of grief bacon. So, I want bacon now. God damn it, Christy! I want it. Too. I just got five pounds from our favorite meat dealer, and it's all in the freezer. And I want to eat my all of mom. It right now. Yes, you can. Can you order bacon online? Yes, Nueskes.com. N-U-E-S-K-E-S. The delivery, like, they were right on time. The I, I would do it soon. And their bacon is amazing. It's it's so good. It was N-U-E-S-K-E-S. And they're actually out of Wisconsin. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> Represent. represent yeah so yeah you should you should do it soon just in case like the supply is disrupted because a couple of meat suppliers have my closed mom down. made these um, snacks where she'd take like like an inch and a half long section of hot dog uh like tickborn's penis and then wrap it wrap it in <laughs> bacon 
and she made like a whole baking pan of these things, drizzled it with brown sugar, and cooked it in the oven until the bacon was crispy. It was fucking amazing. Oh my God. Meat candy. Um, I just want to offer to, to Amber uh, or or Scott, you know, like anybody who who wants some bacon, I'll 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 give you a, a pound or you know split a half pound between the other two of you. But I'm hoarding the other four. <laughs> That's fine. I'll buy some smoked duck wontons. All right, I'm gonna stop doing this. I'll do this later. So yeah. Um, <laughs> so he gets to England and he does try to go see Lady T, but she is in Paris now. Right, very soon after he arrives, he makes a little bit of an odd stop, looking for a friend named Arthur Orton, who had said, "Well, he doesn't live here anymore." Keep that in your head for a little bit. Just put a pin in that. He does manage to snag himself a lawyer who accompanies him to Paris to find Lady T. They meet at the Hotel de Lille, where Jackson and I stayed on our very first No shit. Oh. Yes. You're so happy about that. I love it. I could hear this. When I first listened to this episode of Noble Blood, I I always, whenever they say something about, you know, like Paris, if it's something that even pings the tiniest thing that might, it might be familiar to me, I look it up immediately. You know, I'm like, and I looked that up and I was like, oh, holy shit, because we actually have, and I still have yet to, I I should make that a project this week. I still have yet to post these, but uh, that first night in Paris, we sat out in front of the store next to the Hotel de Lille and we uh, had some wine. We have a picture of me just like, you know, like drinking a bottle of wine in front of the store. And then we recreated that picture because we were at a hotel around the block because the Hotel de Lille did some upgrading and we couldn't really afford it anymore. <laughs> it was actually kind of a lower end hotel when we stayed there. Not super low end, but low end for the area. And uh, when we, we, we were looking at it, we were trying to book for our next trip and we were like, whoa, they really upgraded, but it looks really nice. But yeah, so when I was there, you could touch the wall from either side of the bed. <laughs> Damn. I hope they combined some of those rooms, for God's <laughs> sakes. And actually, we had to take the elevator up separately because only one of us would fit in it. <laughs> It's kind of oh actually goodness. typical of European elevators, so, I have to say. I, I yeah, just so. got a text. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a common friend. His name is Zion, who is a very proficient tattoo artist. And I, I asked him a question. On very old tattoo ink, can it fade to nothing over 10 years' time? And he goes, it depends on a lot of factors. It can happen. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. That'll definitely come into play. Oh, my. So, um, yes, I stayed at the Hotel de Lille. It was it was very nice, uh, but it was it was also like, you know, fit our budget in, you know, late 20s (laughs) or whenever the hell that was. Uh, and I have, I have duplicate pictures of me sitting in front of the, the like interior decoration store next door, like sucking down a bottle of wine. So I was delighted to see this because I was like, I could have been in the exact same room where the following (gasps) happened. We have a quote from J.B. Atlay's study of the trials, which comes from blood and ink, that book that I am so buying. Listen for it in the sources. Quote. It was a murky afternoon. The claimant was lying huddled on a bed with his clothes on and his face turned to the wall. The mother bent over him and kissed him, saying, He looks like his father, and his ears are like his And his penis is like, good lord, no. 
<laughs> his penis is probably like his father's too. <laughs> but the thing is, is that you add this. Look mm-hmm. at look at this this accounting here. Murky afternoon. He's huddled on the bed. He's looking towards the wall. It's dark in the room. Yeah, I I think the the basically. This is this is a, a, a the very least a third hand accounting, but I think what it's trying to tell us is she was desperate to find her son, and she would take anyone who came forward. I I feel for but I, as she I said, feel for that's. Oh yeah, she said, "How would a mother not know her own son?" Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. one one could answer well, that question in a couple of ways at this yeah. point in time. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, she actually starts him up with a thousand pound income. She goes back with him to England and they basically go on a a tour of skeptics. (laughs) Essentially, there are some supporters, the family solicitor and doctor who examined him, uh, his Batman from the military. (laughs) Go ahead. We have any Batman jokes? No, I really (laughs) didn't. Oh really? No. I I figured you had no, it, I didn't so I was just go- I was waiting. Jokes. I'm so sorry. It's okay. We, we ha- I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> His Batman, which is actually a personal servant to a commissioned officer, as I found, the Guildford MP. Uh, there was a Baron who married the granddaughter of. Are you guys ready? Captain John. Oh, Bastard. that. Well, it's too easy. <laughs> It's kind of like the Batman thing. It's too easy. It's I'll, I'll pass. Everybody at home can make their I own jokes. I just never. I never knew that bastard was an actual name that people had. And the thing is, is that when I was younger, my last name being Baxter, uh, a, a semi-common, not two, there were one or two kids. The playground taunt was Christy Bastard. But your parents were married. You know. I know. Well, children make a lot of yeah, sense all true. the time, is what you know. So, so yeah, that, that yeah. Was, it was, it was semi like occasional. So sometimes I like hearing John Bastard. I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, I thought that Baxter came from, you know, like Baker, but maybe it came from Bastard. Hmm. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Maybe I'm descended from Bastard. I wonder if there are any more <laughs> Bastards left. Bastard family name. Looking it up. There actually is a, a website called How Many of Me or something like that.com and you can look up how many of their of you like your name there are in the in the United oh, here States. Here we go. Um there are uh let's see the bastard name meeting. Uh many of the uh the name can be traced wow, back to uh, Britain and Ireland. Similar surnames are Bustard, Mustard, Bayard, Atard, Basara, Brassard, Balstead and Bossard. And there are fewer than 123 people in the U.S. with the last name Bastard, according to how many of me. Apparently there's a lot of bastards in Kentucky, but I already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) And believe it or not, there are fewer than 1,657 people in the U.S. with the first first name Bastard? I didn't put in a first name, so I'm just wondering if it was just like, I don't know. Well, let's try Let's try first name Bastard, honestly. Because I didn't put in a first name because I was just looking for the last name and it came up with both. It says here 3% of bastards work as a farm laborer. 40% of bastard women worked as unpaid domestic duties. Some less common occupations for bastards are assisting father and cafe proprietors. There are fewer than 1,657 people in the U.S. with the first name oh. bastard. 
Looks like the average bastard lifespan is 84. <laughs> and you thought that was low-hanging fruit. I we know. just needed to Google. An unusually short <laughs> lifespan might indicate that your bastard ancestors lived in harsh conditions. <laughs> <laughs> So some people who did not support the claimant, Tickborn's childhood tutor and all the other Tickborns, literally every Tickborn who wasn't Lady T was like, no. I mean, they would throw fake family family members at him, trying to trick him, and he complained about that. But even when they were the real deal, he couldn't really seem to recognize them. So I don't even think they needed to go to those lengths. They just needed to show up in person. He, he did keep gaining weight, as Amber said. His Tickborn's helmet from military days was too tight that's, on him. That's what they called his penis. Tickborn's helmet. <laughs> he, a shy, a shy tortoise. tortoise. I love it. He does know some family things, like where certain items uh, that are important to the family are. But in fairness, the couple of servants that he's had contact with, multiple other people could have told him those things, people who supported him. And he could have done it in a, maybe he was a really sly guy. He could have done it in a sly way where they didn't even realize that they were feeding him information. Well, actually, I, I had uh, one that was saying when he was still in Sydney, those, those two servants that came down to identify him, he offered them the promise of money for mm. information. Ooh, so not even sly about it. It's just a super, just upright paying for it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're lonely, I don't see any reason why not to pay for it. <laughs> we know your feelings on that, Scott. So he testifies that he, while in Australia, spent time with a man named Arthur Orton. This is the name I told you to remember. This was also an Englishman. They worked together for a William Foster and people try to make the connection and they send like investigators over and everything and they do find records for an arthur orton but they never find records for castro the uh, foster's widow even says um or she shows them tickborn's sorry let me start that again she shows an agent of the tickborn family a photo of orton and says this is thomas castro hmm. So it's weird. There's some weirdness here. And the claimants, he had a spin for this, as, for, as with everything. He says, well, we would sometimes do crimes together, as you do with your best buds, you know. And in order to trick people and to get away from the long arm of the law um, with our short penises, uh, we would switch names with each other. So, uh, you know, just as one does. I don't see how... If you both did the crime, how would switching names help? I don't know. And um, the claimant actually, the, the Orton family members there, it wasn't Arthur Orton in, uh, in, who was born in England. He had family members. The claimant uh, paid them some money in order to not recognize him. Uh-oh. And even Orton's ex-girlfriend came forward and pointed to the claimant, and she said, that is Arthur Orton. So it's starting to look a little bad for yeah. the claimant, eh? Marion Lauder, his uh, his former sweetheart, is uh, yeah. She kind of goes, yeah, that's that's uh, that's Orton. Which I'll tell you what, if you like, look at the uh, the portrait that they made of Orton. Like, I don't see how this guy had a sweetheart at all because he he looks like <laughs> the body Krang was in. <laughs> yes. 
That is a good, very good comparison. <laughs> so Orton, to get into his details a little bit, he was born in Wapping, <laughs> which... If you'll what the hell is wrong with Australia? <laughs> this is what happens. No, that's that's a no. London neighborhood. Oh, God damn it. He's an Englishman. That's a London neighborhood. If you look on YouTube, because I did to make sure I was getting the pronunciation mm -hmm. right, because you never know, uh, there, there wop, are wop, walking wop, tours wop. of whopping. It actually, there were... Uh, are there also whopping <laughs> tours <Jesus>. of whopping? <laughs> <laughs> there were... It used to be basically an area for uh, like with a lot of docks and such, but now it's uh, they've converted warehouse into modern apartments. There's lots of trendy bars. Uh, I'll just go ahead since I'm here and go into the the. Now we have British bar Whopping names. Bars. The Whopping Bars. There is the Prospect of Whitby, Town of Ramsgate, the Captain Kid, White Swan and Cuckoo. Which I'd like to point out that we had a. Swan and the other. Oh, in, I in like Hogwaga. that name, White Swan and Cuckoo. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah. The Turk's oh. Head. Little vicious. The, the Dickens Inn. <laughs> How far is the Dickens Inn? <laughs> Only about an inch? Because <laughs> it's not formed. Just, just the tip. And then this one is apparently a chain restaurant, which I don't know how this ends up being a place where you would want to eat and drink things, but. The Slug and Lettuce at Tower mm. Bridge. Mm. This is by the tower, by the way, yeah. or in the general vicinity. I know, right? Slug and, and that's lettuce. a chain. I, what? Like, okay. Slug and Lettuce. Let's go down to the Slug and Lettuce I and get some I say put wings. it all together. And, <laughs> I just say put both names together and just your call burger. it the Sluttice and be done with it. Nice, but then, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, Orton was born in this neighborhood called Sorry. Whopping. <laughs> and he was born to a butcher. <laughs> and also a ship's victualler, which if you were like me and looked at the word victuals and was like, well, I know that means food. Does that mean a person who supplied ships food? Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> there's no there's no suspense here. There's no like 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 hook or any sort of twist and turn. It is what you think it is. I was kind of disappointed. I actually <laughs> wanted a surprise there. He was born in 1834. He had some sort of a nervous condition growing up, so they sent him off to sea for a bit to fix it, because apparently that's... Nothing, nothing cures a twitchy eye and a stutter like being in one of the most dangerous situations possible. Yeah, yeah. Like being like constantly heave-hoeing on a boat and probably heaving some too and the possibility of horrible storms that can leave you stranded in the middle of the ocean to die or be eaten by sharks or what have you no that's that's a calm, calm thing no he he wasn't there to embarrass his parents any social longer, anxiety that's what's important yeah. back in trauma these times. that's what fixes it and just to make sure it takes hold i'm gonna yeah. kick you in the groin as hard as i can Social anxiety here. Spend a long, extended period of time in a enclosed space with lots well, of other people. Welcome Enjoy. to hours and hours of sheer boredom, punctuated by moments of life-shattering terror. <laughs> exactly. This will cure you. So in the 1850s, he ended up in Chile, and then Tasmania, then Australia, where he worked for William Foster, who fired him in 1857. And then after that, he kind of falls off of the public record. Now, 
Lady T, she died before the civil trial to prove the claimant's identity. And the family was not pleased at her funeral mass where he insisted on being chief mourner. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little like yeah. presumptuous because you're not yeah. official yet, you know, yeah. like, so. Yeah. But okay. So think about it in, in this sense. If you are pretending to be the son of this woman that just died, you're going to pretend to be in the You kind most of have to. Pain. Yeah, you kind of it's it's part of the role, honestly. Yeah. And if you are the son, then you are in the most pain, I guess. So like just in case we actually yes. believe him, which we don't. Um no. no. <laughs> just I'm just going to lay that out there. We don't yeah. fucking believe yeah. this guy one the, bit, okay? Yeah, the whole like I, I mean, good for you. You found a way to maybe try to make a little bit of money off micropenis, but <laughs> I mean, there's only freak porn in this, so good job. Well, he does find other ways to make money because he does go bankrupt after Lady T dies and he needs some money for his solicitors. So he does raise that money by selling 1,000 Tickborne bonds, which you buy these for 40 to 50 pounds. If he wins his claim in court in the civil trial, you will get 100 pounds from the Tick estate. That sounds exactly like something a nobleman would do. Tickborne bonds sounds like something that you get Lyme disease from. It really does, yeah. The whole name is just kind of rough all along with... Yeah. Yeah, so... He basically is responsible for the world's Ooh. first Yes, GoFundMe. he really is. Good point. Excellent. The civil trial happens, and what's up for grabs is Tickborne Park, which is 2,290 acres. Some properties of various types in Hampshire and London. Uh, these add up to a total of 20,000 pounds in annual income. No, I didn't do the math because British is hard to translate over. It gets really confusing because things change with the pounds and it's, it's, it's so confusing and there's not a lot of great conversion calculators out there. So just, it's probably a lot of money. I'm going to go with a lot, a lot. So the claimant's team, his, his legal team says, well, when the bell wrecked, he got some head injuries. That's why his memories are fuzzy. And that's probably why he can't spell. And he kind of forgot his mom's name there for a little bit. And yeah, there, well, all these things can be explained by just, you know, head injury. His fellow army mates and the officers he worked with, they testified in his, in, in, in the claimant's favor. So Tickborn's fellow army mates and the officers, it gets confusing, uh, testified in the claimant's fa favor, as did servants, uh, current and former, as well as a cousin, not Caddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she was a woman. Nobody cared about Thank her. Thank God he had a male cousin, Anthony Bidouf. And he, had, he, Bidouf. he actually, I think he honestly, uh, honestly believed that this was Tickborn. I think he did. It may and it may have been a case of wanting to believe, but uh, I do like his name. It sounds very uh, like kind of uh, kind of like Jersey. Hey, hey it's Badolf. Anthony Badolf. A better Badolf. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> yeah. So he's asked in the trial about his school days, and he's completely clueless to the extent that he confused Latin with Greek. And when they were asking him about chemistry, he didn't know. What it was. <laughs> Jesus. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, See, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. almost so, bad enough to make me believe 
he lost it in the accident. Like, I know, right? Like, you almost think like that's what the intention, maybe. Like, if if I if I'm just go ahead and play any sort of dumbness, or maybe I really did. Like, it's really confusing when you try to like figure out like what stance you take and then step into another. Like to stance lose for an a entire concept because your right? he's change, but your but yeah, your, your your pronouns change. Like, just from my point of view, like when if you, if you, if I step into you saying. Okay, well, maybe he really was Roger Tickborn, and he lost it, you know, like like lost all these concepts and things in in the accident in the wreck. My he has to change from Arthur Orton slash Thomas Castro slash the claimant to a whole yeah. other person, and so it's 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 kind of mind bending in that way. How you have to, if you want to consider the other side, you have to change who a person is entirely that is the main character, essentially, of this entire case. But you know what? The, the claimant, like, even though he did have some some information that matched, like, he knew the fly fishing tackle he liked to use, clothing he liked to wear, the name of the family dog, that is information you could have oh, bought much, out of the service. Much. And there's stuff that he should have really known that doesn't necessarily... Yeah, French. French. Yeah, French. Any, any words? <laughs> Bonjour. His first language. Yeah. I just, I, I just picture that scene the... from Inglorious Bastards. Bongiorno. <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure that was probably exactly what it was. <laughs> then there was the case of the sealed package. They I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Trial. <laughs> just other genital things. But yeah, well, it is. It really, there's just, it's just genitals everywhere in the story. They. Genitalia. Genitalia. They bring him this package and they say, hey, so you, Tickborn, right, left this package with your friend before you went to South America. So why don't you tell us what's in it? And his answer was, well, yeah, I banged my cousin, Caddy, and then I was worried that she might have been knocked up. So I left my friend some directions because I was about to head off to somewhere else, probably South America, I think, maybe, um, in case that happened. So what to do with her in her quote unquote confinement, as they called it back then, which is a lovely word for pregnancy. Uh, and this basically, like, there was already kind of class war stuff brewing at this point, but this triggered the upper class so hard when they the, he was besmirching the honor of one of theirs, Caddy, that they were like, okay, now it's on. It's it's fucking on, dude. You just brought it, and now it's on, and now we need to head to the streets and, like, dance fight or something. I don't even know. Like, it's a Pat Benatar <laughs> video. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dig deep in that one, huh? <laughs> so... There have been two months of trial, and then there's another four months of adjournment before they come back to court. The total by the time they finished this was 103 days in court. And a third of 103. a year. Yeah, a third of a year on this bullshit. I grant, granted, some money was up for grabs, and also for both sides a lot. You know, the, the the lower class were like, how dare you think somebody who you think is of our station can't be of your station? The upper class were like, how dare you think somebody who's so clearly of your station can't be of our station? So the, the friction between the classes was just increasing. And everybody, this case was a huge cause celebra in these days. Like everybody knew it. And as we'll get into, there were freaking, there was memorabilia for God's sakes. It was nuts. So... <laughs> I really want a tiny oh penis bobblehead. I kind of do too. I hate to say it. Bobble dong. Yeah. I think it, if it's a tiny piece, I think it should be a yeah, bobble dong. There we go. 
Bubble ding. I like it. So, and then the claimant uh, called 85 witnesses, including, quote, his own mother, the family solicitor, one baronet, six magistrates, one general, three colonels, one major, two captains, 32 non-commissioned officers and privates, four clergymen, seven tenants of the estate, 16 servants of the family, and 12 general witnesses who all swore to his <laughs> Privates. Identity. And we're going to put some pictures up, guys. You're going to question the fuck out of this. Oh, yeah, I just said <laughs> privates. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I'm sure you can edit that <laughs> in the right part. <laughs> now, the <laughs> crown or opposition, whichever it is, I'm not really sure legally whether it was the crown officially or if it was just like the, you know, the Tickmore family. They had over 200 witnesses ready to go, but really they only needed 17. Uh, and one of those witnesses was the one who said, you know, uh, Roger Tickborn had a tattoo. So, uh, can you find that to tattoo on the claimant? Nope. Mm, curious. But as Scott Tattoos found out, can fade maybe not so under curious. the right conditions. No, under the right conditions. However, the tattoo on his, on Roger's arm, it was a heart and a cross and an anchor. And then he later added on the initials mm. RCT. Oh, interesting. So to have these two separate pieces of tattoo, I really highly doubt that yes. it would have yeah, gotta agree. faded gotta agree. to oblivion. That is, yeah, that's something. I've had the tattoo on my back for 17 years. It's not even faded. So... Like, granted, tattooing has come a long way, but it is still ink stabbed True. into your skin. I had skin. one. My very first one was on my back. It's not a tramp stamp. It's a little bit higher. Shut up. Um, and I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we never deign to tell you to shut up, but I will tell them to shut up because I can't hear them. So, um, so yeah, it, and it was actually kind of poorly done. It was done at a, a shop in my hometown. I didn't really do any research because I was 18 and it, you, there wasn't research to be done. I mean, we, we had the internet, but nobody was really using it for that. And so um, it actually was a little too deep and it was slightly raised on my skin, but also faded in years to come. So when I got, um, when our wonderful Lacey has a wonderful tattoo artist that we know, she did my tattoo on my forearm. I had her... Uh, this was in her apprenticeship, so uh, I had her recolor in my tattoo on my back. And that was, I don't know, I want to say maybe 10 to 12 years after that first tattoo, and it had already faded. So in that case, yeah, I guess it really, conditions probably are going to be a huge factor. Because also, Amber, you don't spend a whole lot of time in the sun, do you? Um, I'm just saying, um, <laughs> you know, you glow in the dark. <laughs> I do. So I got a tattoo in Vegas at a Russian drug cover tattoo place. They didn't actually like really do tattoos, but we had walked in and they agreed to do them. Um, I It was very shady and I, I don't recommend doing that. If you walk into a place and you're pretty sure they don't actually do tattoos, you shouldn't get a tattoo. <laughs> but I did. And um, like it is very faded. It's on my hand, but it's still pretty yeah, dark. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't, I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't so think he's yeah, just to disappear. And we did get that information that tattoos under the right conditions can fade. 
We got that from my good buddy Zion. If you happen to be in the Johnstown area, check out his shop, Signal Wire Tattoo, and you can also find Signal Wire. Uh, you can also find Signal Wire Tattoo on Facebook. Figured I'd throw him out a little hey ha uh, for the information. Nice, yeah. Thanks, Zion, for the info. We really appreciate that. So another group of people who really appreciated this info was the jury of the civil suit. They rejected the suit in March of that year, and immediately the claimant was charged with two counts of perjury. So he, of course, goes to the public, GoFundMeing his way through for financial help. They form committees to help him. They He's bailed out in April, so not long after he was put in jail, and there's a huge crowd there to cheer him on when he's brought out of the old Bailey. He does a speaking tour, and the media, I have to say, is on the side of the nobility in this case. They're basically like, so, hey there, uh, Mr. Nobleman, why do you have a Cockney accent? None of your goddamn business! Not typical. <laughs> exactly. And the, uh, <laughs> the Punch magazine nicknames him the Wagawalk. Because uh, <laughs> Lewis Carroll is, is very interested in, in the claimant, and Lewis Carroll had uh, Jabberwocky, so Wagawalk. Down at Wagawalk. You can see what we're getting Down there. at Wagawalk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there are actually two newspapers started for him. I think this is the first person we have talked about in the show who has had newspapers started for him. We've talked about people starting newspapers, but never somebody who had them started in his uh, in his honor, in his his, his defense. Um, there's the Tickborn Gazette, which lasted all of seven months, and the Tickborn News and Anti-Oppression Journal, yeah. getting a little heavy-handed oh. there, I have to say, which lasted four months. Um, he did have quite a bit of fame. Even Mark Twain met him and said he was, quote, a rather fine and stately figure. I... Okay. <laughs> Occasionally you have Mark Twain popping in with things where you're just like, stick to fiction, bud. <laughs> so his perjury trial comes along. It starts in April 1873 and lasts until almost a year later in February 1874. It is one of the longest uh, trials in English history. 188 days of court. 215 witnesses just on the Crown side. And interesting to note, the claimant couldn't testify in his own defense. He could be there, and I think possibly was required, but he couldn't testify in his own defense. Dang. He oh, I mean, he couldn't. Legally, it was part of the proceedings. He was not allowed to testify. I the fact that this went on so long. There's a painting. <laughs> There's a painting of this. Frederick yes. Sargent. Uh, it's, uh, he, he created a painting. And you can actually see the claimant uh, in the lower center. The claimant. The claimant. The claimant. And the packet. Okay, this was what I was waiting for because back when they brought up the packet and the civil trial, I was like, what's in the packet? What's in the packet? And then my brain was like, probably some shit about his property. I'm going to guess. Yeah. And uh, again, no surprises here. It comes up. It's not about him knocking up Cousin Caddy and what to do during her confinement. It's about some of his property and what to do with that. So not very dramatic. But what is kind of dramatic is one of his lawyers is basically like, you know what would be a good legal tactic that'll definitely make me have a long, healthy career? 
character mm-hmm. assassination. Always for the best. Uh, always a good idea. He basically um, character assassinated the guy who brought up the tattoos in the civil trial and was like, oh, you know that guy who brought up the tattoos? Uh, he's a cheater. All right. So you're going to listen to a cheater? No, I don't think you're going to listen to a cheater. He's an adulterer. He adulters. Okay. So don't listen to him. And that did not go This over. man's well, normal genitals have touched thrilled. somebody else's other than his wife's. And their normal genitals, the gall of him, the unmitigated Are you going to listen gall. to a man who shares his normal genitals with the world? Or my fine friend over here who only gives his malformed genitals to his cousin? <laughs> I mean, the choice, my friends, the future is in your hands. And so, remember, you have to eat with those hands. <laughs> there is a sailor who testifies that he served on the Osprey, the boat that supposedly rescued Tickborn from the wreck of the Bella. But he was actually an ex-con, and they figured out that he was in England when the Bella sank, and he ended up with a perjury charge and then jail for seven Whoopsie. Years. So... <laughs> Oops. Testimony is over. And then Lord Chief Justice Scott's favorite last name in this episode. Lord Chief Justice. I'm looking for it. Hold on. Let me find it. Give me. I'm going to say it real close to the mic. ASMR style. Oh. Cockburn. Yeah. (laughs) Cockburn's peroration. Yes, he begins his charge, which I think is essentially a summation of the case, which we've talked about in other British trials. It seems like you can the, the judges are definitely allowed the leeway when they're some summarizing the case to the jury. They're allowed to kind of insert their own opinion and feelings. It doesn't need to be as one sided or sorry, as 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 unbiased as it is in American jurisprudence. And his charge lasts 20 Days. He talks for 20 days. This bitch is beaten out. Oh my God, it's been a long night. What's his name? Damn it. Famous lawyer. The American. Guys. It's right there. I think I am. Are you no, having the, an interview? Uh, the, okay, so he, I don't know. he's come up in multiple trials. He came up in the Radium Girl trials, but oh, he was too old at the time him. to do it. The, uh, the, I'm just a simple country lawyer. Yes, yes, Thank join you. me in my aneurysm. Hold on, it's right on, it's right on the tip of Name. my tongue. Name! It's right on the I tip of my too. tongue. I know, me too! And then he, he did the yeah. Leopold and Loeb trial. Jesus Christ. I can't remember your names most of the time. I'm not trying. Clarence fucking fucking Darrow! That was so frustrating! I can't even tell you how frustrating that was. I really think I'm losing my mind sometimes. But then I realize I have barely left my house in the past five weeks. And I think it's going to be okay. So, yes, that is longer than Clarence Darrow's uh, final remarks in the Leopold and Loeb case, which did last quite a long while. But 20 days is quite the time. Hey. Did you remember how we just did that interview yeah. and it was mentioned that Christy might be the next murderer yeah. among us? That <laughs> made me believe it. Me getting so frustrated. 
Beautiful. You sounded crazy, and it was I wonderful can't wait to listen to this next frightening. Week and be like, should I edit that out? Because I don't think that could be used as testimony against me. No, someday. leave it in. <laughs> Just leave it in. I think scare the it. general population. So <laughs> the jury deliberates for a whopping, whopping. Uh, it's not funny now. <laughs> Third. Okay. I was drinking. Thirty minutes, and they find the claimant. Guilty. He gets two terms of seven years to be served consecutively. So a total of 14 years. And, and his solicitor oh, no. is disbarred. I was only trying <laughs> like, to help. It's like, it's basically like, fuck you, fuck you. And also fuck that guy who helped you. <laughs> so, uh, but he insulted uh, like a member of the court and basically like called him out. Like, that can't go over well. So this, as we said, was such a huge deal in the public. There were tick-borne souvenirs that became really popular, like china figurines and medals. Those medals were quite the trend as it was, not just tick-borne medals, but uh, for all causes, well, all figures and everything. I'm sorry, they go were ahead. Made in... it, it was no, a, no, it was no, a situation ahead. where, like, even though the court went guilty, 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 the the popular the popular opinion, the public was... Yeah, the claimant is walks on fucking water and turns a water to wine and then walks on the wine. And Keenly, his uh, his legal counsel was a martyr who had sacrificed his legal career. Um it, it was it was absolutely incredible and Keenly uh in April of 1874 even launched a political organization, the Magna Charta Association. Uh that had a very broad agenda, to say the least. <laughs> you want to? Do it, you have it, or it just kind of reflected some of the of the uh, Chartist demands of the 1830s and 1840s. So essentially, uh, what do we believe? Every, everything in the Magna Charta. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> and yeah, there there were medals, um, and they. These made them in gold, silver, bronze, brass, tin alloy. You could basically, what you do is you would, it was basically uh, a old timey pin or bumper sticker, if you want to think of it that way. You could drill a hole in it and then wear it on your clothing. And there were two different medals made for Tickborn, uh, interestingly. Uh, one had just his face on it and one had his face and then on the reverse side was the face of the child who would receive the baronetcy mm. that he was trying to get. So they were definitely trying to, there were a couple different things they were trying to attempt with that, that medal. One was trying to compare his age with the child and being like, do you really want this kid in charge of anything? And one was also trying to draw comparisons. Uh, I'm between surprised their facial that features, Edward so. Keenley, his, uh, his uh, legal defense uh, wasn't put on the coin because quite honestly, I'm looking at a picture of Edward Keenley right now and he looks like a very well-educated garden gnome. <laughs> well, maybe he has some, uh, maybe he had some <laughs> coins of his own. Who knows? I've only looked at the tick-borne coins and I, like I read an article that, that delved into them a little bit, but, but yeah, these metals were a, a big thing. I thought when I did some Googling, just as a side note, I thought there were actually currently spoons for sale because if you look up Tickborn memorabilia, it comes up with some Tickborn spoons in the results with the same spelling. 
but apparently these are replicas of, quote, the original spoons presented to Sir Robert Tickborn in 1656 when he was Lord Mayor of London. He was one of the judges who signed the death warrant of King Charles I. Possibly a distant relation or, you know, like second something or other. Great, great, great. I don't know. But I wasn't going to track the family tree that far. I'm sorry. I'll do a lot for you guys, but not that much. <laughs> so Tickborn <laughs> served 10 years. He gets out in October 1884. That doesn't... Yes, it does add up. Never mind. I'm sorry. He had lost 148 your, pounds. There's so your any weight resemblance loss plan. should Prison. be popping up. Yes, go to jail. <laughs> You'll lose weight. Uh, not really healthy food, so your your health won't I'm be sure great. I'm sure the beatings, uh, broken uh, jaw, it's he, really hard to ingest calories. It's very true, yeah, yeah. So he did a tour of the country. He went to music halls and circuses, but at the time, people had kind of lost the, the flavor for Tickborn. He eventually is like, I'll take my show to New York. They'll love me there. And they didn't care at all, so he ends up bartending. In 1887, he comes back to England, uh, he does not officially divorce from Mary Ann Bryant, his wife from Australia. Uh, he does marry a musical singer named Lily Ennever, and you're going to hear in our sources, both Scott and I hit up Ennever.com. So that's that family's connection here, and they have a whole website about it. Oh, uh, in 1895, uh, he was asked by, a, well, a journalist paid him to confess that he was Arthur Orton. And then once he had the money, he the claimant immediately retracted his bitch. statement and went back to being Roger Tickborn. And he also <laughs> used the money to open up a tobacconist <laughs> shop in Islington, which failed. Um, as anything else he had tried to do in those years did, uh, he would die penniless on what day else? What day else, I ask you, but April 1st, Penniless and almost penisless. <laughs> Honestly, what other day? <laughs> that is the most perfect irony, or not even irony because it's so fucking appropriate. He died mm. on April Fool's Day. That just destroys me in the best way. Uh, there was a big funeral for him. About 5,000 people came. He was buried, uh, or was supposed to be buried in an unmarked pauper's grave, and I find a couple different accounts of what happened next with the card that was placed on the, the, the coffin. It did say Sir Roger Charles Doty Tickborn. Okay. So that happened. And then the cemetery did in its records record that as the name of the person buried there. I saw one thing that said that the family couldn't stop it. So they allowed it. And one thing that said that the family was so generous that they allowed it. And I'm going with the first. I don't know uh, I'll go with the first as well. Yeah, I don't think they're very generous. Yeah, especially not with the family lot. name and, you know, applying it to somebody who had never really proven substantially that he was be belonging to it. The Daily Mail, uh, I have a quote from them of, of, of all people. I know I don't have much respect for the Daily Mail, but who knows? Maybe they were better back then than now. No, probably not. Quote, the judges of the high court were two years in determining that the living Tickborn was Orton. The registrar of birth and deaths determined in two minutes that the dead Orton was Tickborn. I'll give him uh, points for. I like phrase. there. There is this. Uh, uh. Uh, <laughs> there is this study uh, by a Douglas Woodruff in 1957 
uh, the, he, he kind of says, hey, you know what? This claimant could just possibly have been tick-borne. Uh, his principal argument is the sheer improbability of anyone like conceiving of this from scratch at such a distance. And I love, and I'm quoting this, it was carrying effrontery beyond the bounds of sanity if Arthur Orton embarked with a wife and retinue and crossed the world knowing that they would be all destitute if he had not succeeded in convincing a woman he had never met and knew nothing about firsthand that he was her son. Boy, that's a lot of $12 words. I love you, Douglas Woodruff. It is a lot of $12 words. The episode <laughs> of Noble Blood uh, that I listened to, uh, I think I think they do a little bit of, of editorializing and fictionalizing in how they present it, which, you know, who doesn't? But um, they started off basically with this Thomas Castro butcher guy in the office of the lawyer doing the bankruptcy examination. And the, the newspaper, which I didn't find anywhere else, so I think that this was sort of a, a, a story flair, but the newspaper was on the lawyer's desk in this particular scene where the lawyer realizes that he has uh, Roger Tickborn right in front of him. So, uh, I, like I said, I think that was a little bit of just, you know, like adding a little, a little twist to it to, to add interest. And I have nothing against that. But I couldn't find that anywhere. I think he just honestly saw the advertisements in the paper somewhere and decided to try and make a go of it. And, you know, maybe he was super desperate or maybe he just was like, yeah. how far can I take this? Well, let's find out. And even <laughs> he took it so far that his daughter um, <laughs> it, it still insisted that she was a tick-borne daughter uh, and said that he had told her that he killed Arthur Orton. So that's apparently what happened to him. And if you mean metaphorically, then I would say, OK, sure. And in 1924, she was actually imprisoned for making threats and demands for money. Here's the, the apple. Family. Here's the tree. Uh, Do the math. Something is making a lot of sense here. So, yeah, there's been a lot of people who have said, well, there were some similarities between them, like, you know, facially, but maybe not. It's hard to say because of the, the, the weight differential. And... Um, so people were like, well, maybe Orton's mother was Sir Henry Tickborn's uh, illegitimate daughter, and that was Roger Tickborn's grandfather. There's also, like, maybe James Tickborn seduced Mary Kent, who was Orton's mother. It's, it's, there's a lot of different possibilities that people have come up with, and none of them really. It, it's all, I think it all feels like very much contortions to try to find a way around this is all fake. It, that's just my thought. Um, yeah. I have a little bit of poetry to delve into before I do that. Do you this guys have anything else that I missed? This inspired a Simpsons episode. Yes. Uh, yes, that's right. One I was of so caught up in poetry. what is considered <laughs> to be the worst Simpsons episodes. Uh, believe it or not, they actually, like some people call it, this is the day the Simpsons died. Uh, the principal and the pauper, where it turns out that Seymour Skinner isn't Ouch. actually Seymour Skinner. He is a uh, he is a a military uh, man who is kind of a uh, kind of a, a clumsing buffoon. The real Seymour Skinner was a real rough and tumble man, and instead he is Armin Tamzarian. Mm hmm. Wow. <laughs> It's funny that it became like it considered really a massive was. failure. It really was. Uh, 
Yeah, in, in the 2004 book Planet Simpson, author Chris Turner describes the principal and the pauper, the broadcast that marked the abrupt plunge. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Amber, anything before I go poetic? I All right, so I love no, it. Go poetic. About once a year or so, I get a chance to read some poetry on this podcast and uh, subject you all to that. So I'm going to do that now because it's Lewis Carroll, which he wrote Alice in Wonderland. So you can't turn your nose up at that, no, even if it's me reading it. So deal with it, I guess. <laughs> Fuck! God! <laughs> Everything is no, ruined. Fuck. Um... So in 1876, he wrote Hunting of the Snark and Agony in Eight Fits, which he would never really reveal what the meaning of this was. Uh, but some people think that he could be parodying this whole entire case from beginning to end. I'm going to read you two different parts, one long, one short. Um, so one like a normal penis, Thank one you. like a uh, tick form penis. Um, <laughs> and so this is from uh, close to the beginning. When he's he's counting, he's kind of describing all the different characters that are coming on to this ship. There was one who was famed for the number of things he forgot when he entered the ship. His umbrella, his watch, all his jewels and rings, and the clothes he had bought for the trip. He had 42 boxes, all carefully packed with his name, painted clearly on each. But, since he omitted to mention the fact, they were all left behind on the beach. The loss of his clothes hardly mattered because he had seven coats on when he came, with three pairs of boots, but the worst of it was, he had wholly Whoa. forgotten his name. I know, right? He would answer to <laughs> hi or any loud cry, such as fry me or fritter my wig, to what may you may call him or what was his name, but especially thingamajig. While for those who preferred a more forcible word, he had different names from these, his intimate friends called him Candle Ends and his enemies Toasted Cheese. His form is ungainly, his intellect small, so the bellman would often remark, but his courage is perfect, and that, after all, is the thing that one needs with a snark. Dun, dun, dun. So that sounds a little bit uh allusional to something we've just spent an hour and a half talking about hmm? so i will end with um <laughs> how the 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 poem close to the end there's a long trial with a very long summation if that doesn't sound familiar with you then you might want to get your ears checked there's a guilty verdict that really doesn't matter a whole lot in the end, and uh, this is why, and this is uh, a line that I think, a verse that I think is pretty much perfect for this. But their wild exultation was suddenly checked when the jailer informed them with tears. Such a sentence would have not the slightest effect, as the pig had been Aww. dead for some years. Cute little piggy wiggies. So... Cute little piggy wiggies that is possibly referring to Roger Tickborn. <laughs> Maybe. There's all kinds of different explanations. This is one that is such a wild poem that you could apply, you could ascribe so many different meanings to it. So, like me gasping when I came upon, you know, upon the part where he forgets his name, you know, um, it could it could be something. It could be nothing, honestly. But it's uh, it's still a, it's still a good poem, as you can tell. The it, it really has a, a ring to it, and it's. Uh, Fuck Lewis Carroll. God damn it. I'm sorry. No, Shit. 
All right. Well, my day's ruined. No, I'm just on. Um, that does suck. Uh, so, um, but yeah, um, that's then Roger Tickborn, I guess, and the claimant. I, I love the claimant. It. It's, the claimant. It's a historical mystery that's really not a mystery. People lie for money. It's not a yeah. You're right, and you've got you've got some really interesting things. You've got <laughs> sex. You've got crappy lawyers. You've got. Malformed genitals. <laughs> Cousin fucking. <laughs> Those things too, yes. It has everything. MTV BJ Dan Cortez. So, yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, just a reminder, you can always go and give us a little boost with a uh, rating on Apple Podcasts. We would love it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, if they have a rating, it really, uh, everybody needs a little boost in these days. It you know, costs of, nothing, uh, you know what I'm saying? and you're stuck inside. So, do it! What else do you have to do? <laughs> Honestly, if you're an essential worker, I get it. Maybe when you get home? Okay. Or whenever you, get, uh, whenever you stay <laughs> and, home. Uh, but if you're essential... <laughs> yeah, but if you're an essential worker, if you're out there on the front lines, we thank you. Um, we know uh, none of you asked for this, uh, and you are all being, you know what, I know a lot of people are scared, but uh, the thing is, is that, is that bravery is being scared and then doing the thing that you need to do anyhow. So when I call you brave, don't take it as, oh, you know, like, I'm, I'm not this martyr, I'm not this hero. No, you're going out there, I'm terrified to go out, you know, and just even do a little thing like go to the, the drive through at the freaking... CVS, which I should be because, like, I saw one person with a mask just hanging around down, like, untied and everything. I was like, oh, that's doing you a lot of good. So, yeah, uh, we just really appreciate you. Thank you for everything you do. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing the same thing in the next week or so, just school and being around the house that I've been doing. I'm assuming you guys, so. too. Yeah, yeah it's uh, – I, you know, Amber and I are both essential. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm happy that I have a job. And at the same time, I'd really like some time off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I am feeling that in oh, every fiber of my being. School is about to end for me, but it always <laughs> ends with a, here's like 250 pages of papers you need to grade. Have fun. <laughs> so uh, it's going to get rough pretty soon here, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Come follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are there. Scott is killing it with the social media. He's putting up all the awesome pictures, and I really appreciate his hard work because that was my hard work a couple months ago. <laughs> then he was nice <laughs> enough to take it off my shoulders. So, <laughs> so yeah, make sure you uh, check out our old Tiny Crummy this week, and then in a couple days from when you hear this, there will be a new old Tiny Crummy, and that one's going to be mine, and I can't wait Ooh, for you to hear it. Nice. I can't wait to tell these guys. Is it next Thursday yet? No, that's going to be a year from now because time means nothing. All right. Thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Look at Bye. the tiny penis. It's like a turtle eating little Bye. pieces of cabbage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
and Lewis Carroll, courtesy of PoetryFoundation.org, as I read some poetry. Ooh, Ooh. fancy and schmancy. <laughs> My sources for this week's are the ever-popular Wikipedia.org, FutilityCloset.com. Love the name of the site. I like that. Yeah. AADL.org. The uh, the article on mentalfloss.com about the mysterious disappearance and reappearance of Roger Tickborn and www.endeavor.com. Ooh, okay. Well, I have uh, far less than you guys. So I've got Wikipedia. I also have the article by Stacey Conrad on mental floss. And I uh, got a couple fun little tidbits from hoaxes.org. Ooh.